Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hi, welcome back to Ausbiz, Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour on a program we call The Call, uh, where we have an expert panel uh, cast their eye over 10 stocks that you've suggested they adjudicate. I chuck in a stock of the day, something that's in the news and uh, it's fast and furious, a lot of fun, incredibly informative. Today, our expert panel, one of the best, Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you, sir. Good to see you too, Koji. And Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Great to see you, Scott. And uh, a lot to get through today. So we might just get... Oh, first of all, um, are you re-rating the buy now, pay later sector? (laughs) Or are you listening to the bell at the top of the market and thinking... Now, if the lowies got out of Westville, that was the best time to get out. And if the founders of Afterpay getting out at this level, maybe we should follow too. Um, just quickly, Scott, what's your take? Oh, gosh, here's the thing. I think Afterpay is probably worth more to Square than maybe it is worth as a separate public company because of what Square can do. If you're right. Square, you can push customers in, you can push products in. And you can also then take Afterpay's customers and products and put it into your business as well. So this is one of those rare circles. I'm not saying it's worth the money necessarily, by the way, but if you are a trade buyer in this case, you get to basically cross-pollinate both groups. And that's a really, really huge benefit that you or I couldn't do. If we bought the business ourselves and put it in the uh, the David Kosh stable of businesses, um, you're struggling to make Afterpay as valuable as Square can. I've got to say $40 billion for a loss-making company is a very, very, very large amount of money. If anyone's worth it, it may well be Afterpay. I mean, the trajectory is phenomenal. Square's own growth, by the way, is also excellent. And it's using script, it's using shares to pay for it. So, so yeah. many moving parts. I'm not re-rating the sector though, no, mate. I think, honestly, if you wanted to play this space, Afterpay is probably the one to play. Zip is the value play of the lot, which is tough to say in buy now, pay later. But given the yeah. way the rest of them are priced, <laughs> Zip ends up being the cheapest of the lot. Yeah. I wouldn't pay more for them because of the takeover, no, put it that way. Okay. Uh, Mark Morland, 45 times revenue. Now, I don't yeah. think that would pass a team invest filter. <laughs> well, we don't, do, we don't do revenue multiples. In fact, I saw an interesting uh, graph from Barron's and it actually showed uh, the history of companies that will have multiples of more than 10 times revenue and it was u- unanimously bad, as in they always ended up in tears you know, for uh, shareholders. Oh, so I think this is a fantastic opportunity for uh, afterpay shareholders to uh, cash in. 
yep. uh, whether it's a good move for Squarespace, uh, Squarespace, I think uh, Scott described that quite well, and perhaps it is, but it's an absurd price yeah. and amount of money. So, and, and it may well be the gong for the top of this the market for the companies with revenue multiples. So yeah. I would be delighted now, Kosh, to take it. Sorry. Kosh, I should say too, mate, that I've got two things in my head right now. The first is Microsoft paid a squillion dollars for Skype after eBay paid a squillion dollars for Skype and both of them pretty much could take them to the cleaners. On the other hand, remember when Google bought YouTube and it was 1.6 billion, I want to say that might be roughly yeah. right. Uh, and it was it was you know laughed at as being this stupid price that no one should pay. Google's jumped the shark the whole lot. YouTube is now worth many 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 multiples of that yeah. amount. So uh, it's one of these it's one of those deals, one of these categories that frankly is made to make people like Mark and I. I won't say Mark and I, I'll say I make me look stupid because um, it, it can go literally either way by a quantum. Yeah. It can be worth four hundred million dollars or four hundred billion at some point. And trying to kind of split the difference, it's just really really difficult because yeah. um, you can't see the future. Now to Mark's point. It doesn't necessarily mean you should necessarily invest at those prices. You can simply say, I don't know. And if yep. I don't know and I'm wrong, so be it. If I don't know and I'm right, so be it. Um, but just worth remembering that sometimes it's uh, it's worth yep. just sitting on the sidelines when the prices get too high. Yeah, I just remember when E-Corp, remember E-Corp was valued right, at more than Woolworths. <laughs> That's right, exactly. It reminds exactly. me of that. One thing yeah. to add to that too, Koshi, when I think that point though, if you look at businesses where they have massive uh, network effects, <clears throat> And if you look at Facebook and uh, YouTube and so on, those businesses, they had exponential growth potential uh, ultimately for advertising revenue, although that wasn't clear at the time uh, yeah. because they were massive loss-making businesses as well. But Afterpay is effectively a finance company that's making a margin on sales at retail. So how can Afterpay ever generate the kind of money that one of these network businesses can generate? I just don't believe it. Yeah. So I, I, say, I say it's BS. Yep. All right. It is a fascinating time. We'll all, all remember it, that's for sure. All right. Before we kick off uh, with the 10 stocks that you want us to have a look at, I thought I'd throw in points bet today. Updating the market this morning, saying it successfully completed its institutional entitlement offer, raising $81 million, the gaming business. Um, the move strongly supported by both its Australian and international institutional shareholders with around 78% of eligible entitlements snapped up by existing shareholders. Final clearing price under the book bill uh, came in at uh, $10, 25% premium on the entitlement price offer of $8 under the offer 10 million new shares issued. The retail component of the entitlement offer will start this Friday and is set to close two weeks later. So, of course, for our audience, uh, the question is, should shareholders take up the retail offer? Uh, Scott, what do you think? That's a really good question because that's different from should you buy the shares outright. Yes. Look, I think if you own the shares, you obviously like the company, you like what we're doing, or what they're doing, I should say, and at a big, big discount to what the previous price was, if you weren't selling your shares at a much higher price, doesn't mean you should necessarily buy at a lower price, but you'd be pretty close to saying, well, hang on, if I wasn't going to buy or sell, sorry, at 11 or 12 bucks, why would I not buy at eight, nine, ten? Um, and so, look, I think in this case, if you do like the story still, if you like points bet, if you still like the idea and you feel like you want more in your portfolio, no brokerage, discount to the current price. Frankly, you're already wearing the share price fall of today. So I wouldn't be adverse to anyone taking up more shares as long as you manage your portfolio, as long as you understand your risk profile and assuming you're still happy with the company's value after the book build. I think it's probably a good idea to take up those rights. Hmm. Uh, Mark? 
Uh, a difficult one. It's only been listed for two years. Um, I had a look at it. This is a uh, bookie company that does sports betting and all, all sorts of uh, betting through hotels and clubs and, and so on, a lot in the US. So it's been around, obviously, as a private company prior to that. Uh, and But since it's been listed, and as I said, it's only got two years, it's, it's been pretty sorry from an earnings point of view. So they lost 23% of their capital last year. Uh, so the return on equity was negative. 23%, which is probably why they're doing a rights issue. So profits continuing to go down. So if you look at it from uh, 2020, it was negative 25 cents. Now it's negative 51 cents. Uh, however, sales have been growing strongly since they launched and they're, they're actually growing at 118% a year. So the theory would be, and I'm sure this would be the, the reason that people who have shares in it would consider taking up the uh, rights issue is that they will get to profit based on their uh, their sales growth. You know, yep. So if sales keeps growing strongly, there's probably no reason why they shouldn't get to profit. Uh, I don't know anything about the management. Um, I, I think their their record so far doesn't look at all inspiring to me. Uh, but if you if you believe that the uh, uh, the commentary from the company and where they're going, I agree with Scott. You probably would take it if you thought if you still believe it. But that's what you'd have to do. There's no way I would buy this. It's not a company that team invest would consider. In fact, the whole betting area is not an area where our members tend to show much interest. Okay. All right. Let's uh, start going through the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And Mark, uh, Raj wants a view on Origin Energy. Uh, Raj says, can you please ask the panel if there is a medium term value for Origin Energy? I believe it's also related to oil and gas prices is now near all-time lows from 2016. Yeah, okay. Um, this is a difficult one. Uh, Origin has been a fairly lacklustre performer um, over time. If you look at its earnings over the last 10 years, um, it's gone from uh, uh, 57 cents down to uh, 26, but it's been a rocky road. So yeah. depending on when, when you bought this, you would have... It would have been hard to do well. There's been periods where you can do well, and that's typical in any large uh, cap Australian company. Return on equity is 6.8, which is well below our minimum 10. The current PE, PE, though, is on 13, which is in the green. So it's in the bottom quartile of their PE, so it doesn't look too bad. Um, we're showing it returning about 13% a year at the current price on our default settings. Uh, on margin of safety, it's negative 1%. So uh, it's nothing inspiring from, uh, from my point of view. We wouldn't be interested in it. It's also very complex. Whilst I think energy prices are likely to go up uh, in the medium term, which will probably be good for Origin, there's a whole heap of moving parts in this company with regulatory issues and contracts. And I wouldn't even suggest I have any understanding of it, all of that to have any clue whether if uh, energy gas prices go up, whether that's actually going to make Origin a lot more money. Now, if you understand that and you understand how it all works, and you believe that energy prices are going to go up, and you believe that Origin will be able to leverage that into profits for shareholders, then it's probably a good buy. Uh, okay. Way above my pay grade. Yep. Okay. Scott? Yeah, if it's above Mark's pay grade, it's probably certainly above my pay grade. I, I completely agree on the... And the ifs <laughs> that he mentions are the right ones to ask, right? It's if this, and if that, and if that. And every time you add an if to an investment case, you are increasing... <laughs> The, the level of complexity and risk by an order of magnitude. So when you've got to start layering those ifs on top of each other, that's the challenge. I don't love the energy space in general. Energy retailing is a horrible industry. It's a commodity industry where they're all fighting to resell the same thing. That's very tough at the best of times. Energy generation, equally tough and probably even tougher if you think about some of the macro changes, both policy, 
Now, cost, the cost curve of renewables, for example, trying to predict that compared to the current energy production sources, compared to things like oil and gas, which are just super volatile. Um, asthma, you know, even, <laughs> excuse me, if you thought you had a handle on this one, you still kind of go, well, I might know, but what are the odds that I'm right? What are the odds that I make money in it? 25 times earnings on the numbers I've got. Um, that's just a remarkable combination of way too difficult. So yes, the price is at a reasonably low point, but it's still a very high multiple. In other words, profits have fallen probably faster than the share price. And that might be all you need to know. If you're a counter-cyclical investor, you might look at it and say, well, if not now, when? And that might be a reasonable line to take if you believe a cycle is predictable. But I don't think it is. I'd be giving this one a miss. Yeah. And, and that's what experts like you and Mark have a, as a big filter for you too, isn't it? Um, uh, which a lot of private investors may not realise. Complexity plays a big role in your decision making. So if you've got to choose 20 or 30 stocks in your portfolio, you're more likely to go to one that's simple, you can understand and has great value. Is that, Scott, the way you approach Investing. Yeah, that, that's a great example. I mean, look, you, you mentioned 20 to 30 stocks. Let's go with 20 just for the fun of it. There's about yep. 2,000 listed entities on the ASX. If you're choosing 20, that's 1%. In other words, you're trying to discard 99% of the available investment options that are out there. Come up with your best 20. And if it's not 20, maybe it's 30 or 40 if you want to. But so you get to the 41st or 51st or 61st idea, you're really saying, well, hang on, why would I put money into my 61st best idea? Yep. You wouldn't buy the 61st best house in the street. But yes, there's reason for diversification and for make sure you've got a portfolio that's built well. But as you say, yeah, look, you look at that and say, well, if I don't know, I could take a punt. But why take a punt if I can find something better to invest in that's simpler, easier? I have a higher conviction on, which is probably the sum total of what we're talking about. Um, backing a low conviction idea with your own money, um, <laughs> there's better things to do with cash than, than kind of throw them on something that might yep. do well or might not. And who knows? Yep, Absolutely. All right, uh, Peter wants a view, Mark, on Appen. Now, you know, this, this was a tech darling. Its shares are down 50% since the start of the year. It's in artificial intelligence, and you immediately think, ooh, anything to do with AI, that's the future. Um, they, they provide a lot of the material that feeds into the artificial intelligence and makes it, makes it think better. Um, Macquarie and Credit Suisse, I was interesting going through the broker recommendations. They have price targets, you know, around $15 at the moment. Audmanet, about $25. Um, so what do you think of Appen, Mark? Uh, Appen's a um, company we know well, and uh, there are quite a few Team Invest members that are uh, shareholders. I'm not personally. Um, it's, it, what they do is they provide uh, annotate, annotated, annotated, annotated uh, data for f photos and so on. So like for Facebook and so on, it's all Siri. You know, so it's for programming um, uh, AI communication components to uh, in different languages and different dialects and so on. So it's not a tech company really. What they do is they actually have about uh, I think there's a million plus or more than that people working for them around the world as independent contractors who then, you know, look at a picture of a cat simplistically and say, that's a cat and so on. So that when the computer, that thing feeds into the uh, Google and Facebook algorithms to say, this is another picture of a cat or this is a cat standing on its front legs, you know, that sort of thing. So what they're doing is they're providing the validation of all of these images and, and so on so that the AIs can pick the right things, you know, when they're, when they're looking at it. 
Now, is that a high-tech company? Not really. What they used to do is they used to have uh, people running around with tape recorders recording, converse, yeah, recording conversations and making comments on it and so on. It was actually very, very analogue, if you like. But um, having said that, they do have uh, Facebook and um, I think, I'm not sure they've got Google, but they've got quite a few of the you know, major uh, tech companies who provide their data. Members have often thought the biggest risk to happen was potential AI itself in being able to do what they're doing. There's a point where you're training all these AIs, what all these things are, where's the end to that process or isn't there? So that's a bit of a hard one to understand. But the business is actually quite straightforward. And it was on a very, very high PE um, in the hundreds, you know, 100 type PEs plus uh, for a long time. So it became very, very expensive. So members who had it actually did very well on it. Uh, it's quite a straightforward business how it's run. Um, apart from that uh, potential risk of how the, long, the longevity of it, it's actually very cheap at the moment. So it's now down at the bottom of the green on a PE of about 30 on trailing earnings. And their growth rate, if you look at their EPS growth rate, it's actually running at 38% average over the last six years. Wow. So they had a bit of a dip in 2019 you know, with, it, with Corona, uh, but not a massive dip, just a bit of a dip. And then they're back on the same trajectory they were on prior to that with, with fairly good stability. And sales have been growing at 47% per year for the last six years. This is why it was on such a high PE. Now that the PE is back to 30, which I would argue is not a high PE for those earnings, we're showing it returning 15% on a margin of safety per year and 51% a year on default. So therefore, the share price could easily go back to uh, to a lot of, well, can easily be a lot higher than what it is. So I'm going to call it a buy. Oh, okay. Scott, what do you think? Is this time to buy the ugly duckling when everyone hates it? No pressure, Koshi. Look, it's one of those businesses, Mark's kind of touched on it a little bit. My biggest concern is twofold. The first, and Mark's done a great job. I'll, I'll probably echo some of what he's already said, quite honestly. But firstly, this is a labour hire company, right? It's, it's a contract outsourcing <laughs> business. It's a gig economy company. And plenty of gig economy companies are worth something, but it's not really an AI company the way we like to think about it. Now, that's not a bad thing, by the way. But if you've got those tech multiples on it, might be time to put those away. And secondly, to Mark's point, I agree that my biggest risk has always been with Appen that, you know, betting that AI will never learn to do what humans are currently doing for it is, I think, a really, really tough bet. Think about, other than flying cars, think about the Jetsons or Star Trek or whatever else. These things happen, <laughs> they they come true, right? If you're betting against any of those things, you've really, really struggled to do any well at all. And so so think about the Appen story. Is it really likely computers won't be able to find a way to say, thanks, we'll take it from here, guys. I'm sorry, Appen, you're back to whatever it is you can find to do next. That's my biggest concern for the business. I think it's a real one. To Mark's point, the price price went a lot. It's 70% below a high of almost exactly 52 weeks ago. And if you think about the opportunity that provides at 27 times earnings, that's pretty inexpensive for that sort of growth if they can retain it. I'm, I'll, I'll, I will be, I'll say it's a buy, let's put it in the portfolio. Uh, just with some caution that A, things could get worse from here because the market's not going to change its tune anytime quickly. And B, there is real risk that it can't regain the sort of momentum it's had in the past. While Mark's right, they have bounced back from 2019. Earnings this year are still below the earnings of two years ago. And so we do want to see that trajectory grow from that previous high, not just from the most recent low. So maybe a half asterisk against it, but let's put it down as a buy on valuation. Okay. All right. Uh, Emily wants a view, uh, Scott, on Blue Scope Steel, the uh, uh, flat steel producer, basically um, the producer of Colour Bond. That everyone yeah. knows, or that that's its <laughs> that's driving right. sort of profit uh, yeah. area. So what what I, 
Yeah, what I love about about Blue Scope. Oh well, let, let me let me not bury the lead. I wouldn't buy this one at all. But what I do love about Blue Scope is they've found a way to find niche products that are branded. If you can brand steel, you're doing pretty well, right? The fact you can you can we know the brand Colorbon, right? It's effectively just corrugated iron painted nicely, which is fine. Um, but the fact we've been able to brand it is a really big success. It's a bit like being able to sell branded milk, right? When you when you give it somebody that. So, excuse me, your brand of milk is better than someone else's brand of milk. You're doing pretty well. Um, I think the same is with steel. Now, whatever they can remain in those niche areas, they'll kind of be okay. But think about what's more commoditized than steel production and what are the chances that an Australian steel mill or a few steel mills, they've got some business outside Australia as well, but what's the chance that they remain cost competitive over the long term with the huge, huge volumes and much lower labor costs that you can get around the world? Yes, we've got the iron ore here. But you can get it on a ship for, you know, at the moment, well, it's a lot of money to sell, but I put it on the ship for $18, $20 a tonne. And so if you kind of do those maths, if you're all buying the same raw material, but your labor costs are higher and your scale is lower, it's a really tough one to stay in front of. So I get why people like it. Yes, I mean, we all like to think the color bond and, and others will continue to do well here in Australia. But as a commodity producer and a really low value add industry, I wouldn't be buying blue scope steel. Yeah, gee, the share price has done well this year, though. Has Certainly has. That's partly why I think it's just way too expensive for me. Yeah, five-year highs when you look at that chart. Mark, uh, riding the, the housing boom, construction boom, and, and rental yeah, market, yeah. is it? That's right. This is another one of those businesses that's actually very complex. Uh, you know, and just uh, reflecting on what we were talking about earlier, there's a lot of lot, a lot of companies that are much easier to understand and uh, than Blue Blue Scope. Uh, if you look at the big picture, it's got return on equity of about 7.3, so it doesn't meet our minimum 10. Now, long term, that's sort of a return on equity is a bit of a speed limit on what your return can be. Uh, it doesn't take in PE variations, but if a company's only got 7% ROE in the long term, all things being equal, you can't do much better than that. That's about what you're going to get. So we like high return on equity. So it fails on our filters. We wouldn't, for that reason alone, we wouldn't look at it. Um, the story, of course, why I, I imagine the price has gone up is, as Scott uh, said, they do have some very strong brands with Calibon and Liceheart and others. And they've done an excellent job of um, adding value to, or being able to charge higher prices for those brands in the U.S. particularly. So they've got quite a strong business in the U.S. They also manufacture in the U.S. and they are positioned, I uh, forget where they are, somewhere in the Midwest in the Rust Belt. But there's a, you know, many, 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 many years of scrap steel and they have mini furnaces as a whole. They've got quite a good competitive story uh, on the cost side of the equation. So all that looks good. And I can see why people would go, oh, oh, you know, the US is now going into a boom on building and so on post-corona. And that's all true. Therefore, Blue Scope should do well. And they may. But I couldn't deal with it because uh, it's just the risk reward is just not there for me. And I think the market's already priced in that. There's an assumption there that it's going to do well in the US now. And it's on a, on a P ratio at the moment of 20, which for them is very high. You know, it, the Blue Scope average is between 10 and 14. So it's way at the top of its range on, uh, on its P ratio. So too hard for me. And I think it's too expensive. Okay. All right. Um, our next stock to take a look at, Mark, is Super Retail Group. Um, uh, obviously, the, the retail conglomerate, they own Rebel Sports, Amart Sports, Super Cheap Auto, uh, BCF, what's that? Boating Camping and Fishing, boating, I think boating, it stands for. Boating um, Epping Camping. Sorry? It's Boating Epping Camping, isn't it? Yeah. Like 
that's, that, that's more like it for me. Actually, I'm more a glamping man than a camping. Um, but been a great performer and and a great collection of brands. Yeah, it has. Uh, we've been we've been a long term. I won't say we. A, a lot of team invest members have um, done very well on uh, SUL uh, over the years. Of course, anyone who bought it in uh, April uh, 9th, April uh, uh, last year. Uh, is laughing, of course, because it's done about 200% or something since then. Uh, but that's been true of AX1 and Nick Scarley and all the other good retailers. So SUL definitely fits into the good retailer category with JB Hi-Fi and so on. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with the business. Their debt's a bit high, although the debt, a lot of that, I imagine, is leases, you know, under the new accounting standards. Uh, currently, it's on a PE of uh, 11, which is not bad. Uh, by the way, the whole retail sector is on reasonable PEs. Uh, JB Hi-Fi, AX1, all of them are. So they're actually one of the only areas, I think, in the market that has pretty well consistently good value on most of the good players, should I say. So uh, growth rates, return on equity is 13.6, it's okay, it passes all our, uh, all our filters. And uh, we're showing it returning, uh, if we look at cut to the chase, uh, at, the current, at the current PE, it's returning 14 point, sorry, 11.5% per year on our default and about one9 on safety. And the reason, the big difference there is the, the safety one drops the earnings growth down to 2.4, whereas our default rate 6.3. And I think they will do 6.3, but there's a, we have a debate going in Team Invest at the moment is of post-corona, what is it going to do to each retailer's earnings? Yeah, and, right. they're, and they're all different. Yeah, so you can say like Nick Scarley that sells furniture and so on, has brought a lot of sales forward with people being stuck at home looking for things to spend money on. So they've had a boom period through corona. And it would be hard to argue that that will continue at that same growth rate post-corona. It'll right. probably flatten off, might even go down. JB Hi-Fi, on the other hand, is also capitalising on the uh, the benefit of uh, the work from home, uh, nomads and electronics and all the rest of it. I, I think they're going to continue to keep growing. So all the retailers have different profiles. Super Retails looks pretty good. Um, it's it's not it's not a bargain price, but it's not unreasonable. Um, and as I said, it's showing about eleven percent likely, and worst case, two percent per year. Right. So is it a buy for you at these levels? Not for me. It's too it's too, it's too expensive. If it was right. down at about eleven dollars um, uh, from uh, sorry, if it was down to nine dollars uh, twenty seven. There's our figure. Uh, that would give me ten percent on a margin of safety. I'd be delighted to buy it. Okay, Scott. What do you think of super, super retail? It, it's very possible for smart, intelligent people to reasonably disagree, and I'm going to disagree with Mark this time. I think super retail's a buy. The question he raises is exactly the right one, of course, which is what happens post-corona? What happens to uh, our shopping habits? What happens to the profitability of these businesses? Supply chains cost the whole lot. It's a really difficult one. And at a retail level, trying to work out what is a one-off boost, what is a sustainable change, and what goes back to normal. Um, other businesses have done well and will keep doing well. It's a really difficult one to find out. Now, if you think about, you know, have we bought some more, well, I'll say we, have some people bought yoga pants? during COVID who may never not do it again once we go back to work, maybe. And some people have gone camping who never will again, maybe. Um, the question, of course, is, you know, is there enough growth left in the overall business to do well? I think there's two things for it at the moment. The first is I do think these are, if not sustainable levels of growth, I think they're probably sustainable levels of interest by consumers. If you think about the growth in super cheap, rate, uh, super cheap order or the growth in BCF, um, people who've discovered DIY order or going camping or whatever it is will probably continue to some degree. So they've actually captured more customers who will stay to a large degree over the next three, four or five years. Yes, they'll go back skiing. Yes, they'll go back 
to Noosa or to you know Broome or wherever you're going to go with flight or holidays rather than camping. But I think they've attracted a whole lot more customers. And I think on top of that, these guys still keep taking share from their competitors. Their loyalty scheme is one of the biggest in the country. It's probably not the biggest. I think Woolies or Coles probably have that. Um, Priceline would be close, but it's super cheap and, and um, uh, super retail in general. Must be really, really close behind. So they've done a really good job there. I think I'm a member of at least a couple of those programs. Um, and I think you know that gives them really nice buying power and communication power, selling power. I like that business. I think for the long term, it's not a particularly demanding price at the moment, not a particularly demanding multiple. I, I like super retailing. It's a really good retail exposure to have. It'll be bumpy, absolutely. The first thing I want to say to Mark's point is we'll have lots of volatility in profit revenues and share prices while the market tries to work out what's coming next. But if you're investing for the long term, I think super retail is a market beater. Okay. I sort of can't get over the image of you in yoga pants and it's... <laughs> I'm pretty sorry. Let me tell it you. It really, All really right, is not, mate. Get that out of your mind as quickly as you can. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of that thought. <laughs> yep, I'm uh, trying. Let me tell you. All right. <laughs> our next stock that our viewers want us to take a look at is Alcidian. Um, Scott, Alcidian is um, uh, basically a software business that helps medical professionals. Uh, Motley Fool, you did a write-up of it. Uh, I noticed only just last month, a couple of weeks ago, after a Big pop in share price. They've they bought a software developer in the UK as well and got some defence department contracts. Yeah, the UK is a really big market for our city. And there's uh, some businesses that are listed here but do most of their business overseas and sometimes the other way around. Uh, but in this case, the UK is a massive market for our city in both, as you say, healthcare and now defence. And that defence is important. Look, it's not the best sort of acquisition you're looking for. You ideally want to be able to, a bit like we started with, with Afterpay and Square, acquire something you can cross-sell. Very hard to cross-sell Defence Department and Healthcare, the same product. Uh, maybe there's a slight overlap, but not much. So it's not the best type of acquisition you can make. But if you do it well, you price it well, and the growth opportunities are there, which I think is what our city and shareholders really liked with that acquisition announcement, you're in a pretty good place. Now, it's a loss-making business, so this is absolutely one way up the risk scale. It does provide basically kind of critical um, healthcare management tools for UK hospitals in particular. Happy to sell them anywhere, of course. But as I said, the UK is their their, their key business at the moment, and that they're kind of really deeply embedded in those in those hospitals, and they're winning customers over time. And if you get a business with that sort of metrics, you're doing really really well. It's not one that I own personally. I'm not super close to it, but I know a couple of the analysts, including Kate Lee here at the Motley Fool, really like Alcidian as a business that they believe is a long-term winner. Um, it is one of those companies that you have to take on faith, a little bit like Afterpay. When the money's not there, you have to believe the story. You have to believe the sales growth is going to keep coming in. Thus far, that you know, so far so good. That share price graph tells you what the market thinks. I think the market's probably right. As I said, I don't know it super well, um, but a lot of the analysts here really like Alcidian, so I'll put it down as a buy for us. Okay, Mark. Um, right. Okay. Well, that was good that uh, Scott knew about it because I'd never heard of it <laughs> before uh, when I had a look at it. It's only got, um, it was say it's only, it's actually got uh, 10 years history. And if you look at the earnings, they've been, they've pretty well flatlined since 2014 up till 2020. Sales have increased since 2018, but they haven't been able to get into uh, profit. So they're losing about 10% a year on their capital. Uh, the other thing I don't like is that they've increased their shares outstanding very, very significantly over the decades. So if you look at the uh, it's, it's shares outstanding have gone from a low of uh, sorry, company there, shall I get it here? A low of uh, 55 million to currently 900 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a massive growth, and it's not it's been in a few big steps. 
So they've diluted shareholders through the process. The market cap's about 360 million at the moment. So this is a company that only has sales of 18 million and it's making a $3 million loss on that. And as I said, it's been flat for eight or nine years. So maybe maybe it's now going to start making money, but I'd want to see it <laughs> before I would even, well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it until it had four years of good history. And yeah. it's got no years of good history yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's recap the first five stocks of stock of the day, which is points bet. Uh, both Mark and Scott say, if you're in points bet, then take up the retail offer for the raising that... Uh, uh, at the moment that you're being asked to do. Uh, Origin, a no from both. Appany, yes from both. Blue Scope, a no from both. Uh, Super Retail, a yes from Scott. Uh, for Mark, if it got down to that $9.30, $9.30 mark, he'd be interested in it then. Alcidian, a yes from Scott and a no from Mark. And uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the uh, 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner Nabtrade. Any stock that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel goes into the, uh, into the portfolio. Um, if it comes up again and doesn't get the thumbs up, then it goes out. Uh, for the week, we're up 1.4%. Um, uh, uh, for the last month, 1.68%. And the year to date since the 1st of July this year, um, so 1st of July 2021, up 2.1%. Some of the stocks recently added, uh, Monash, IVF, Steadfast, Goodman, Rio Tinto and Midway. Uh, some of the stocks removed, Evolution Mining, Premium and McMahon. And so far today, Appen goes into the portfolio as well. If you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co. Uh, forward slash portfolio. Uh, just a quick note for you, reporting season kicks into high gear this week. Here on Ausbiz, you can access extended coverage of all the numbers when they drop. We also have a special event tonight. Um, we've partnered with The Motley Fool to help you better understand what to look for in the results. So this is, if you like, your boot camp ahead of earnings season. When we get flooded with all this information, um, what to make of it, how to assess it and do it correctly. Really compulsory viewing for any investor, I reckon, ahead of reporting season. Marcus Bogdan, Luke Lerative, uh, Eleanor Swanson will all be sharing the key things to look at in uh, what to look at in the results along with Scott Phillips, the guru, is joining them as well and giving you a bit of an insight into where the bodies are buried in some of these results, how to sort through them, what gives the best indication of future performance. And Scott, who, as I said, is on the, the call today, will be uh, co-hosting with Nadine to answer um, questions about how he dives into the numbers. So. That special event kicks off tonight, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. You can register now. If you're a Close of Business CIB subscriber, you would have received the link in yesterday's newsletter. If you don't get the newsletter, you can go to osbiz.co.register and uh, we'll send you the link for it. So um, I think it's a, a great initiative, uh, a joint initiative between ourselves and Motley Fool because uh, earnings season, that's where all the information, it's, it's truth or dare time um, for all our <laughs> listed companies. All right, let's get back into um, the next set of five stocks. 
And um, Mark, Graham wants a view on Zimplat's holdings. Now, Graham says, had a nice run, but shows potential for future growth based on rhodium market research. Um, it's, a, it's a metal. Um, uh, I believe there's also a strong bull case for Zimbabwe with macroeconomic and political factors stabilising and market underappreciating support for the country's mining industry. Would love the expert's opinion. Uh, rhodium is the, in the platinum group of uh, metals and uh, associated metals like nickel, gold, copper, cobalt and silver. And they have a mine called the Great Dyke Mine in Zimbabwe. Um, Mark, what do you think of Zimplats? Is Graham's obviously <laughs> passionate about it. Yeah, well, I, I actually know this company reasonably well. I used to be a shareholder in it probably about 15 years ago. Oh. Um, and I sort of gave up because the, the problem, the biggest problem is it's in the name, uh, the Zim bit, you know, Zimbabwe. It's in an African country. And the trouble is they have these regular, even though when the politics change, you get a new president or a new, uh, a new dictator or whatever they have, they, they tend to want to go back and renegotiate all the uh, contracts with the the miners and that's happened with zim plats before now they're in platinum it's at the moment it's looking really good it's got uh, it's on a p of 4.5 and current earnings were five dollars 49 a share so the last three years earnings have rocketed up now that must be partly to do with the price of the metals and and obviously their extraction they're all in extraction costs and so on um but it's looking very good if that can continue um but you've got to get over the fact that it's in it's in africa it's a long way away and they have had numerous bouts of government interference in in what they can do and how much you know shareholders are allowed to benefit having said that it's a triple green from our point of view so the p is at the bottom of the range uh its stability of earnings is fails but everything else passes and we're showing a returning about 17 percent on a margin of safety and 400 percent per year on default if they can keep the game going the way they're running at the moment oh. which is uh eps is growing at 190 percent and sales are growing at 17 percent so if you're going to speculate this is not a bad speculation you know right. rather than something that because uh, because it's actually the financials look good biggest risk is africa risk from my point of view right so would you have it as a spec buy or no, well i don't i really can't do spec buys because right. i don't do it yeah yep that's fair enough uh now, scott, scott wants to if, if scott if scott likes it and wants it in i'll, I'll say yes too because it'll probably be <laughs> there's the pressure scott what do you no, think it's, of not, it's, not a, it's not a team no, it's no, no, no pressure <laughs> no pressure look i i'm i'm gonna disappoint everybody well yeah unfortunately well depends who you like it or not i'm gonna say no koshi um here's the challenge with Zimplats. i think mark's gonna really nice job of summarizing what the company does what its risks are what the opportunities are i pulled up some numbers sales have only gone backwards once in the last 10 years you go wow what a wonderful business if you then look at the earnings chart and unsurprisingly the return on equity chart as a result it is all over the place. That's cost, that's price, that's everything else that goes into what is normally a resources company. So if you said, I've got a, I've got a really great business, nine out of the last 10 years, sales have increased year on year on year. How good must that be? You'd be forgiven for thinking, this is wonderful. Of course, I'd sign up. Where do I sign take my money? And it would have sorely, sorely disappointed. Now, the last two years have been excellent. So if you're just looking at the last three years with the data, you're saying, well, what, what, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And the answer is the previous seven years before that. Not that they're all bad, but they are all over the place. Look at these numbers now. Uh, they had three years of decline, then a year of recovery, then a couple of years of negative uh, earnings, a couple of years of flat earnings. And I said the last two years have been pretty good. Now, maybe there are new fundamentals. Maybe there are new operational you know, 
um, benefits coming through from Zimplats. That's very, very possible. Uh, but again, you know, looking at those numbers tells you everything you need to know about the industry, the location, as Mark's already mentioned, the commodity you're dealing with. But just again, we talk about complexity and how many ifs you're involved with. Just too many for me. Maybe it does okay for here. Um, trading on seven odd times earnings, right? Which in theory looks really, really cheap. But companies on low PEs are either cheap, their value, or their value traps. And in this case, I don't know anyone who can genuinely know, looking forward, which one of these this is. And so I'm going to give Zimplats a miss. Sorry, okay. guys. Okay. All right. Something a bit simpler. Simpler. Gary wants a view, uh, Scott, on High Pages Group, which is sort of the online tradey platform. It's it's basically the online version of Yellow Pages, isn't it? Sort of matching tradies up with residential and, and commercial consumers. High Pages is fascinating, Koshi, because it's got elements of Yellow Pages, got elements of standard classifieds, and it's also got elements of network effects. If you think about the likes of some of the gig economy companies, think about the, the DoorDashes or the Deliveroo's or the Uber Eats or yep. the Ubers, because you've got that combination of everything going on. The first thing is, if you want a tradie, where do you look? Used to be the Yellow Pages. Now you might go to High Pages and try and find a tradie. If you're not just looking up someone's name, you're looking for them to provide you with a quote for the work you want to do. Normally up to three quotes are provided by the company. So you've got that classified idea and then you've got that network idea of you know connecting yourself with some tradies in your area who want the job, who want a quote on the job. And then you've got those network effects of the likes of the, the gig economy companies because the more tradies are on there, the more consumers are going to use it. The more consumers use it, the more tradies want to be there because they know increasingly that's how they're going to get more work. So it is a nice network effect business. It's not quite as strong as some of the really big ones, the the Facebooks or even the classifieds businesses like car sales or, or seek or realestate.com. You're going to go there almost exclusively. High pages isn't quite at that size and scale yet, but the big opportunity for investors potentially is to work out whether this is the next Skype or REA, the next network effect business, next classified business of some way, shape or form. So you've got all those things happening at the same time. A couple of guys on the team are really keen on high pages for exactly that reason. They're seeing a cheap early stage company, only $400 million, I say only, but that's relatively small, um, with big dreams, good growth, a decent opportunity, I think, to maybe consolidate and capitalize on this market. On the flip side, I'm not yet convinced that like the delivery companies, you can't be a customer of more than one or a supplier for more than one. So if you want to be on, you know, I can jump on Uber Eats or Deliveroo or DoorDash or whatever on my phone, equally a rider or driver. I'm thinking about the, you know, the, the Ubers, the Olas, the, the plenty of those. And again, they can be deliverers as well. Combine all that together, no one's yet won the uh, delivery race, if you like. And I don't think at the moment we're sure that Hypage is going to win this race or even there will be a key winner. It may well just be a great network, but not a lot of network effect value accruing to shareholders. So I'm giving this one a miss, but I am saying keep it on your watch list. Mm -hmm. If they continue to accrue sales growth, profit growth, and customers, that'll be a good sign. There'll be plenty of time, I think, to have a go at high pages. Okay. Mark? Um, yeah, well, this has only been uh, listed for a year, and we actually, I have no data on um, sales or anything, so it must have been all within the listing. Uh, so they haven't reported yet anything. So they're, they're, the market cap's $400 million. So whether, and everything Scott said was valid, and will they end up growing this into a worthwhile long-term business? Maybe. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of the way Team Invest looks at something like this. We, we, we wouldn't consider it until they had four years of proof. And if you go back to realestate.com, about 12, uh, 12, 13 years ago, realestate.com was uh, about $2. It was early days. You know, hadn't proven whether it was going to be the winner yet. Uh, we looked at it. We thought it looked promising, like just like Scott saying, high pages is promising. 
Uh, and then four years later, the share price was $7. And we had four years of good history where realestate.com had demonstrated they were becoming the dominant player. They were making money. They were running the company really right. well. So the management was proven and so on. So the risk on realestate.com at $7 compared to $2 was chalk and cheese. You know, the $2 was purely speculative. By the time it was $7 and we had four years of good history, it was then a really good investment. And a lot of team invest members bought it then and after that period. That's how we invest. So for high, for high pages, may well be successful down the road. I have no idea. I would need to see the evidence rather than the story. Okay. All right. What about technology one though, Mark? Brett wants a view on that. It uh, became listed back in 1999. It's... Uh, uh, big tech company providing support and 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 um, software for sales, financial management, enterprise software, if you like, for big end of town, also universities and governments. Technology based in Brisbane, um, one of the original big tech companies here in Australia, was it? It's a fantastic company. Uh, I've talked about it before. I'm a shareholder. Uh, most team invest members are shareholders. Um, I've been a shareholder for about uh, eight years. So I think the first time I bought it, it was 98 cents. I wish I'd bought more. Uh, it's currently about $9. This is the, one of the best companies in the country. So it's a, uh, it's, it, when you say they provide software, they provide enterprise management software for uh, two primary verticals. One is councils, and I think they've got 360 councils in Australia or something. So specifically designed for the council. And they also do universities and Catholic schools and so on. So they're the right. two main main market so they don't go and sell software to anybody it's just there within the vertical that they are experts in um adrian demarco started it this is a business that's had 99 percent stability of earnings growth at about 13 percent a year for 20 years so wow. it's a linear earnings growth it doesn't get better than this uh, they have no debt and they have a lot of cash in reserve and about 84 percent of their revenues reoccurring on their SaaS model so they and all those contracts are, are all leveraged up so there's growth built into the existing business without making any new sales so this is about the most bulletproof business you can get the uh, only catch at the moment is it's on a PE of 42 and so it's obviously well recognized uh, how good it is in the market now um, I wouldn't I couldn't buy it at this price even though this is a wonderful company I would buy it at eight dollars though which is right. by the way the top of the um, bottom quartile of the P ratio of 36, which still sounds a lot, but with the stability of its earnings growth and the return, the return you get at that level, it's worth it from our point of view. We're yeah. showing it returning 11% a year at the moment on the, at the current price on on default and about one and a half percent per year on safety. So it's 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 okay. it's not astronomically expensive, but it's at the top. It's a bit higher than what we'd want to add. So right. it's content. T&E is a kind of company that most of our team invest members will are delighted to buy whenever there's a either a market pullback or some bad if, news. If comes you look at them. that five-year chart, you know, mm. pulled back to eight dollars in uh, yep. December um, yep. just this year, and over the last two or three years, it does does Absolutely. come back to those levels, which yep. is where you're saying the buying opportunity is. That's right. So if you look at the you know, the prices you're mentioning there, over the last, uh, the low in 2020 was $6.36. It was $5.05 in 19 and $4.11 in 18. Yeah. So, so you know, the highs were $5.80, $9.40 and $10.20. So it, yeah. gets, it, it has a typical 30% a year variation in PE ratios. 
by the way, which is not uncommon with companies. So if you're aware of that and you don't focus on the share price and focus on what's the PE ratio, and if you yep. buy it when it's at the low end of its range, you're going to do well. Yep. Scott? It's a tough one. I completely agree with Mark that the track record of this business is about as solid as you can ask for, both in terms of operational performance and the financial performance. You couldn't ask for a, for a better business. If you said, look, show me stability, show me quality, show me delivery against expectations, it's done exactly that. And it's done it year after year after year after year. This is one of those bottom draw stocks. If you can get it at the right price, you want to grab it. I want to... I don't want anyone to pay more than they have to for a stock or, or not beat the market if they can just buy an ETF and match the market. But if you're looking for a couple of cornerstone positions for a portfolio, technology mm. would be a great one to add. Mm. I can't help but agree with Mark in terms of the price, though. It just It's too expensive for me. I think I'd be looking under eight bucks. Um, maybe I'm not giving as much credit as Mark is for quality or, or the uh, the ability or the, or the opportunity to pay up for it. But uh, on some of the numbers I've got here, it's 40-odd times earnings, growing about 10% a year profits over the last year. Maybe it boosts those. Maybe the long-term compounding of that does bring that PE down more quickly than I'm giving it credit for. But just way too expensive for me. As you say, Kosh, you wonder buy when the market gives you the opportunity. I wouldn't just buy on dips. If it goes up 20% and then falls five, you would have better to have bought it now than have waited, of course. But yep. um, it's one that you want to buy at the right price. It's, it's, if you've got a watch list, you want to have a couple of things on your watch list. The first is, what are the quality companies I want to buy when I get the chance? And the other is, what are those businesses I like that I want to keep track of and see how they develop? I mean, you always want to check the even even the stalwarts to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. But this is one you can probably, again, I won't say buy with your eyes closed, but it wouldn't be far off that unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. If you get the right price by technology one, now is just not that time, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Um, Scott Bianca wants a view on Alcane, uh, which is a gold production uh, uh, group um, with mines in central western New South Wales. The good news about Alcane is it doesn't have much sovereign risk. There's, there's not much you can be worried about with the Australian or New South Wales governments, unlike Zimplats and others. Uh, look, not, not to say that uh, state governments can't do funny things. We've certainly seen over the last 18 months, governments of all stripes do things we wouldn't have expected before. So there's always changes or chances of those kind of things happening. That being said, mate, I'm, look, our viewers know I'm not a big fan of gold companies, particularly at the current gold price. It's not stupid expensive, uh, but the, the future of Alcane is the future of the gold price and vice versa. Yes, operational matters matter. Yes, you want to make sure you can deliver on time. You want to deliver good production outcomes, low injury toll, the whole, all that kind of stuff. So operational excellence is required, but far, far more important that you can be the best provider, best producer in the world. If the price goes against you, you're stuffed. You can probably be an ordinary producer when the, when the price skyrockets and do really well. In fact, the lower quality ones tend to do even better when the price goes up because they're, they're kind of marked down by the market most of the time. So the upside potential in percentage terms is actually bigger for the lower quality mobs, which isn't, by the way, an excuse to invest in them. But they tend to outperform in yeah. the good times. Just too hard. I, I don't know where the gold price is going over the next week, month, year or 10 years. I wouldn't expect it to be a market-beating investment just on the basis I don't expect gold to be a market-beating investment. And Alcane at some point has got to find more deposits to keep its mm. business rolling forward. So uh, one to give a miss, I'd be buying these guys if you wanted to when the gold price was at a, a cyclical low close to the marginal cost of production. I've said that before, it remains my best yep. advice. I can't buy it at today's price. Mark? Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. The One of the things that's interesting with this company is its, uh, it's uh, PE ratio. It's on... Um, ALK is it ALK? Okay, it's on a very very high PE, which it's which for a gold is 31 times. That's an astronomical PE for a uh, gold miner. I think Northern Star's on about 
16 or something like that, which is a, a quality a quality gold producer. Uh, Fortescue is on about nine. You know, so commodity companies are, typically have low PEs. So I don't understand why it's on that kind of PE. Anyway, we're showing it returning a negative return on uh, on a margin of safety. So uh, we'd have zero right. interest. It's running currently at about 5% return on equity, which is pretty pretty miserable. Um, it's, it's, if you look at the earnings over the years, you know, it made a big profit in 2012. And then since then, it's been middling, flat to middling, nothing very exciting. Right. Sales have been much higher than dropped, which must be issues they've had with production, more so than the gold price, I would yeah. think, is because the gold price hasn't been that volatile. And then yeah. on top of that, you're then overlaying commodity prices, which are un unknown, unknowable. All right. Find out, final stock, Gillian uh, Mark wants a view on push pay. This is the uh, New Zealand-based software company that uh, provides basically uh, a customer relationship sort of uh, software service for charities and churches that their supporters, parishioners can make um, donations online. Yeah, but this one this one's come up quite a few times, hasn't it? It's uh, yeah. it's um, it it actually look it, it's an interesting business. They you're right. They they provide. Um, the the system to automate their uh, donations you know for any, yeah. any any charities and so on which charities often aren't a very profitable area to work in because they're very tight with money needless to say but but um it's it's a international business the return on equity is really good so if i just look at the numbers you know 33 return on equity eps growth rates running at 89 over six years although it's slowed down in 2019 but yeah, it's had good growth uh, and, and reasonable stability. So the numbers all say it looks pretty good you know, from, from our point of view. We're actually showing it returning about 10% on a margin of safety and about 40% on, uh, on our default settings per year. So it actually looks quite good. I don't know the, I don't know the business in detail and it's currently on a PE of uh, 43, which is not, it, it's, it's high. But because the earnings growth has been high, if they can maintain it, and that's the big question. So you'd need to really understand what's going on in the business and what they're, how they're growing and whether they can keep it going. And I don't know because I don't know the management. Right. Scott? This is a tough one, Koshi. Uh, Mark points out the, or makes the investment case or the, the criteria really, really clearly, and that is the, the key challenge. The shares have fallen a long, long way from where they yeah. were. We saw that chart before. This is a business that was an absolute darling, a little bit like Apple we mentioned earlier. Uh, one of those stocks that everybody loved until all of a sudden nobody loved. But it's not exactly like it's going cheap. As Mark said, 40-something times earnings. I think my numbers say 38, but that's level. 38, 45 is not all that different. <clears throat> the, the key challenge for investors is to try and work out whether that growth can be retained and regained. The problem is it's kind of stagnated over the last couple of years, and it's coincided with the business having to move from the mega churches in the U.S., down into the smaller, medium-sized churches. Now, there's plenty of them out there. Think about the mega churches. It's a really, really good economy of scale. These mega churches are literally entertainment center-style <laughs> venues. They have thousands and thousands of people. Now, if you've got to go to a church and say, "I'll do an app for you," we'll, we'll clip the ticket on on donations. Um, we'll manage that payments infrastructure and communication infrastructure for you with an app. When you've got a church that big, one effort, one one set of processes to get them on board is really, really profitable. When you start going out in the medium churches and the small churches, much harder to see where the economics actually play right. out. And it might be one of those situations where they've already picked the low-hanging fruit and that was super profitable. They've got to work twice or three or five times as hard to get the same return, which means the margins must go down. And that's the key challenge. Are they getting the wins? Are they keeping the margins up? I don't know that we know that they are. And at 40-ish times earnings with sales kind of stagnating on a per share basis, profits 
they've kind of grown meaningfully in percentage terms, but they've gone from two cents a share to four cents a share. Um, this is a, a you know a one dollar sixty stock. So you know, can it go to eight or ten or twenty cents a share? Maybe, and in which case, this is a really cheap stock, and you should fill your boots. It's just really unclear whether there's enough market opportunity left for Pushpay to capitalize on, or whether it's kind of tapped out yep. the, the, the best economic circumstances, and now it's left trying to pick up the rats and mice. Okay. All right. Uh, final five stocks. Uh, Zimplats, I know from the guys, high pages. Um, Scott's got it on his watch list. Technology One, great cornerstone company for any portfolio, but share price a bit high at the moment. Gets down to around $8 worth considering. Alcane, I know. Pushpay, I know. Um, look, That's if good. you've got any stocks you uh, want us to analyse, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au. Reminder, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. At the end of every day, if you want a wrap up of um, the news and markets, what's been happening, subscribe to the Osbiz newsletter. You get Scuddy's view, you get links to the podcast, the most popular interviews on the platform. It's sort of the, the highlights, what you need to know to know in the day of business and markets, subscribe osbiz.co forward slash the COB. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.